Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 136th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's always surveilling the next big spec. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on magic singles and sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MDGCritic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at WizardBumpin. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here again on this sort of unseasonably warm mid-September day. Uh, I think I gave myself heat stroke yesterday. Yeah, I don't doubt it's been... uh... We had like three days and I was like, nice, I could put on jeans and a hoodie, you know, sweater. This is great. And then it's over. No more. Yeah. My daughter seemed fine with the sun, but I came home with a big headache. <laughs> um, yeah. But- she's like, dad, she's like, dad, dad, why are you so old? <laughs> uh, so eventually we'll get to the fall weather. You know, I love fall. It's the best season, but it's kind of got this like tinge of disappointment because it's like even though it's my favorite season it's immediately followed by my least favorite season and it just sort of sours the entire thing (laughs) disappointing um if i could find some place that had three seasons if it went spring summer fall and then back in the spring again that's where i would live i loved winter when i got to go snowboarding three weeks a year four weeks a year we were traveling all over the place Now it's now it's a lot less exciting now that it's mostly dad action. Uh-huh. Yeah. So winter has some great activities, but like the the tax on your daily life is just way too high, I think. To comedy. Yeah, the day to day. Especially when you can just like take a two week vacation someplace and get most of your winter in all at once in a more enjoyable setting. Fair. Um Okay. So uh we're glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with uh, all of you. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. That was very difficult to say, even though I've said it roughly 120 times before while pulling a card <laughs> out of a sleeve. I don't know why you're taking a card out of a sleeve really made that that difficult. Your brain started diverting neuron pathway power to the very complex mechanical action of sleeve desleeving. Scavenging has really ruined my brain. Mm. All right, so what's on the agenda this week? This week, a show in four parts. Segment one is our top movers. We'll talk about the cards that have seen the largest price increase over the last week. Segment two, our cards to watch. James and I will talk about some of the cards we think may rise in price over time. Segment three, a metagame week in review. Three modern events this weekend. There was Grand Prix Stockholm. There was Grand Prix Hong Kong and Star City, New York, which is actually Star City, Syracuse, which is much less glamorous sounding. Uh, All three (laughs) modern. And then uh, segment four, topic of the week, we'll take a spin through the so far released Guilds of Ravnica spoiler and chat about what we're seeing there, what we think is worth keeping an eye on. Fun story. I did not realize the set was called Guilds of Ravnica until just now when I read the name on the spreadsheet. I have not known it as anything other than Return to Return to Ravnica. 
<laughs> yeah, and I'm sure you're not the only one. And I don't think it's going to change either. <laughs> like I saw the what, what's the set symbol is like GR, GRM or something or GRV, and I'm like MTG game rule violation. What is this? Why is Aaron Forsyth three <laughs> game rule violations? I was like, oh, that's Ravnica. It's definitely way funnier as RTRTR. Uh, yes. Uh, okay, so segment one, top movers, first card of the week, Ruck Egg, version two, very specifically version two, uh, of Arabian Nights, 18 to 28 here, so not a big jump. Um, what's your what's your take on this here, James? It's not reserve lists, hardly ever played in old school. Um, I don't know about that. It's played in some decks in old school, but this is much more about just people continuously targeting the first two years of magic, as we're going to see with several other things on this list this week. Okay, so your thought, you're looking at this just as like, a, here's a card that we don't really have a reason to care about, but is still seeing a price increase and what that means. I mean, yeah, I mean, there are old school players who play this because believe it or not, um, unlocking a, a rock out of your rook egg is like a is a thing when you've only got two years worth of bad cards to choose from mm-hmm. with like 10% of the format being utterly overpowered. Okay. Uh, following that sulfur elemental out of planar chaos foils. Uh, no. Pl- yeah. Planar chaos foils 25 to 40 sulfur elemental is the red card with flash. It eats white creatures. Um, so, you know, planar chaos foils were the last set of the future site block. So as far as modern magic goes, possibly one of the least printed. Um, so 25 to 40 on those foils. Honestly, it's kind of surprised it wasn't already up towards 40 just because of how rare they are. Although I guess it's an uncommon, not a rare. Uh, but I know this is a I, big sideboard, legacy sideboard card. Uh, it's really good against death and taxes. Just comes right down and eats half of their creatures because it gives all white creatures minus one, minus one. Um, and death and taxes is only getting better. Uh, as of late so extra demand here this is the second or third time we've seen this oscillation take place between the mid-20s and and flirting with 40 i've sold this card near 40 um within the last six months so this is just like this data comes largely from tcg player and their data is needs to be taken with a grain of salt when they've got really low data points um you know if a card is mostly sold out and somebody posts one at 40 and then the next guy says ah i just want to get rid of this i found out my binder i'm going to sell it at 25 or whatever then the price drops to 25 and then pops back up so you know you're gonna with cards like this that are you know trickle in and out of the market you're going to see this kind of oscillation over time right 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 right. kind of reminds me of the conversation about power we had last week oh i i I like last week yeah I, i i like this next one Talk to me about this I one. Do. Okay, oh, so yeah. the next one. <laughs> is it because you have a pile of them? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Phyrexian Dreadnought out of Mirage. Uh, mid-20s up to over $40. Phyrexian Dreadnought is the uh, <clears throat> well-known combo card. The, you know, it's like a the sirens luring magic players to their death on the rocks of a one mana 12-12 that <laughs> makes you sacrifice creatures when you put it into play. So this has been played with a variety of, of combos. I know there was Torpor Orb which would stifle the trigger. It was actually played with just the actual card stifle. A couple other combos that have been played with it. Uh, Is there something I'm missing as to why we're seeing this again or? No, this is just people going at reserve list in like the fifth or sixth wave of that action over the last few years. Um, Mm -hmm. The best, the best combo with this in legacy right now is actually without drawsy mimic because Uh, you can go, you can go like mimic mimic on one um, discard a simian spirit guide or something uh play dreadnought and 
and attack on the very next turn or something like that. Like, yep. there's a bunch of nastiness you can do. That is uh, unpleasant. How many of these do you have? Mm, I'm going to say 20, 25. That's a lot of them. Picked up between 10 and $14. That's a lot of them. Um, following that is Carrion out of Mirage, two to four dollars. Just the card's name is Carrion. Carrion from uh, it's on the reserve list, I guess. That's mm-hmm. the three mana instant. Sacrifice a creature, put into play a number of maggot tokens equal to that creature's power, and those are O one <laughs> black creatures. So you instant speed sack a creature to turn it into a bunch of O one maggots. So that's the one two punch with the Phyrexian Dreadnought trigger on the stack. You carry on. Mm-hmm. Explains why they're both going up. You're not serious, right? <laughs> these aren't, these aren't <laughs> real not. words coming out of your mouth. <laughs> hey, they're both on the list. They, the facts don't lie, right? The facts cannot be twisted. And they're next Rudy, to each other. Rudy, listen, Rudy will tell you. Okay. And they're yeah. next to each other so that there's the cause, the causality, right? The causation, the correlation, because they're next to each yep. other on our if list. You, if you say it, it, it makes it real. And then you play it with uh, Burn at the Stake which is the one where you tap a creature and it deals three, you know, and you cast it, you tap creatures and then it deals three damage per creature you tapped. So you turn your Phyrexian mm-hmm. Dreadnought into 12 maggots who then you burn at the stake with your maggots to deal uh, 36 damage. That's the stuff dreams are made of. <clears throat> we broke it. Mm-hmm. All right. So next on the list, we got Force of Nature at a Revise, moving from $5 to $12. This is uh, iconic cards from Revised have been targeted because once people get far enough down the list, then they... Those folks seem to be getting desperate and continuously targeting whatever is in relatively low supply that people might need for collections at some point. I feel a lot worse about revised rares than I do about the sets that came before it because it was printed at like roughly five or ten times the volume of the sets that came before it, depending on which one you're talking about. Um, There's a lot of revised cards still floating around and it's not like anybody needs Force of Nature for their EDH deck, so... It's not a, it's not a, the worst spec, but there's other other priorities for sure. Yeah, every now and then with this topic comes up, and we never have the numbers in front of us. But I'm pretty sure the reserve list print run was more than ten times greater than unlimited. I mean, it was at least ten. I think it was a lot, uh, and it, they're just not as pretty looking. They're very washed out. Now, <clears throat> I love me some force of nature. My first magic decks, very very first magic decks, involved force of nature and Gaia's leash. So. I am all about that art. I love the art of that thing. But even I can't, uh, I don't think that this is a, I don't think there's any force behind this. So I do have the numbers in front of me, actually. it's There's 1,100 alpha rares, <clears throat> 3,300 beta rares, 18,000, well, 17,500 unlimited rares, and a whopping 289,000 yeah. revised force of nature. So, so like 1.75. Way more than yeah. 5 to 10. Or... No, way, yeah, like way more. No, way, way more than that. So, like, compared to even unlimited, which is at twenty thousand versus the roughly three hundred thousand, you're talking fifteen times, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, fifteen or sixteen times. Yeah, more than ten times more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> I would not encourage revised cards. If you think revised cards are, yeah, I, there's I. You know, we will occasionally see them on our list here, and I'm sure we'll be forced to talk about them in the future, but I really can't advocate buying those. And I mean, I guess I probably said the same thing back when we were talking about (laughs) Pyrexian Dreadnought like two years ago. No, not even that, but like just the random 9394 stuff. 
like a random unlimited rares. I, I remember being pretty cool mm-hmm. on that genre of card, which is obviously shows up on our list over and over again. Um, but at the same time, that had a format behind it, and this doesn't. I mean, the bulk guys will tell you that, you know, these days, most people's bulk is five to 10 years old and does not include revised. Mm-hmm. So of the 300,000 that were printed, the attrition rate's probably been relatively high, and there's a lot of it locked up in basements and closets, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, if you take on a hundred of these, you might spend the next hundred years selling oh, yeah. them off. <laughs> like, <clears throat> like you you want to be deep on things that are in high demand, not deep on things that are in super low supply. Right. Agreed. Okay. Uh, following that, powder keg out of Urza's Destiny foils thirty to seventy five. Also, reserveless card. There is also a Judge promo powder keg. It was also done by. Ratchet Bomb, which is basically a better powder keg uh, in most situations. So, um, you know, you're seeing pack foils here out of Urza's jump to a high value, but the only people you're going to sell them to is collectors. So this is going to be the same boat. Like, they're really rare, but the demand is going to be minuscule. Yeah, and so if you have to have a small handful sitting around, you can out them over like a 12 to 18 month period and do just fine, but... Again, it's not going to be the kind of thing you're going to be able to flip really quickly in large right. quantity. Uh, following that is Wave of Reckoning out of Commander 2016, a dollar to two fifty. So nice little move, but difficult to make money on a change of that value, uh, that low ball. Um, it's a, the five mana sorcery white card. Each creature deals damage to itself equal to its power. So most creatures have symmetrical power and toughness, and they just kill themselves. Um, and then, you know, this can be involved in some combos too, but it's just another white wrath. Uh, it was, it was printed in, is that Mercadian masks? Wait, that's right in front of me. Yeah. Mercadian masks. So there's not a lot of supply out there if it was, you know, commander 2016 and Mercadian masks, but there's only 2,000 EDH decks running it. Mm. Mm. I don't really like it. I don't like, I don't like looking for opportunities here because by the time, if the demand were to grow significantly and supply really drained, you still have years for them to just sneak it into another commander product. This is like an Arcades card, right? Because the walls don't do any, do any damage to themselves. So it's a uh, one-sided wrath. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. It's a good combo there, I suppose. But even then, is, is Arcades, who has not been a terribly impressive commander in terms of popularity. Right, like in the last week, he is. Um... Well, he's he's the top commander from 2019, but he's still only got 360 decks registered on EDH. Yeah, it looks Rec, like he's so fifteen. Doesn't look like popular pe- this month. Yeah, so you know, <clears throat> we've talked about Arcadia's cards before, and there's a couple more on the list this week. You don't want to be holding deep quantities of these. You want to get in and out on this before people move on to the next set of hot commanders they want to play with, which is going to happen very quickly here because Guilds of Ravnica yeah, plus, has plenty of know, options. All of the other ones that were in Commander <laughs> that already came out, like Windgrace has been really popular. He has not fallen off the top of the list since those hit the shelves. So, Yeah, so dollar to 250 cards, yeah. you just ignore it and move on. Don't even bother pulling it out for your... Uh, your buy list orders unless you have them in large quantity because Card Kingdom, for instance, is only going to give you a dollar in credit. Yeah, for those. I'm not going to look for these in my bulk. Uh, uh, following that, nope. Wall of Reverence out of Conspiracy, uh, but it was also in uh, Shards of Alara, maybe one of the Alara sets. Uh, foils five to fifteen. 
No, 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 not Conflux. conspiracy. Conflux. Conflux. So yes, from Alara. Wasn't yeah. it? So it was Alara block. Wasn't C O N conspiracy? Isn't that the tag for that? The set code. CSP oh, okay. for conspiracy. CSP. Okay, I was wrong. Um, but you're right. You're actually right. It was in a commander product as well as in commander 2013 and then in conflux. Hmm. So again, arcade speculation. This is the, uh, the wall that has, it's a one, six wall at the end of your turn, you may gain life equal to the power of target creature you control. So that requires you to have a high power creature and play in Arcades, which seems a little odd <laughs> since a lot of them are walls, but, um, I can't think of any other reason people would be targeting these foils in particular. No, I mean, it's got some amusing applications, but it does seem, I feel like we talked, didn't we talk about this before? You were also very dubious of the card in arcades, arcades at that point in time as well. I feel like, Oh dude, I get it. It's a Phyrexian dreadnought combo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. if you can, if you figure out, if you sacrifice 12 power worth of creatures and dreadnought still on the board, then at the end of the turn, you gain 12 life. There you go. Oh, it comes back to the Dreadnought. Yep. Completing right, our, our list. <laughs> uh, then Wake of Destruction out of Urza's Destiny's Foils 30 to about 90. Uh, Wake of Destruction is a card nobody has ever cast. Uh, let me give you the, the quick rundown. It is a, uh, it's a red spell. Yeah, six mana red spell. Destroy target land and all lands with the same name. So it is kind of amusing. Uh, but it's not really great in Commander because there's never generally more than one land in play with the same name, like per person. So like theoretically, you could hit the Gaius Cradle that all of your opponents have, but that's a bit of a stretch. Um, so. Yeah, it's it's a bad card in Commander generally. Yeah. The, the This is just more about Urza, the first two years of foils being targeted. Right. And this was a foil rare from that set. The 85 ask that's currently posted is not real. Um, that's not market price. So you can you can point an arched eyebrow at that and move right along. Sure, who's yeah, who's gonna pay for that? All right, why don't you do one? You, do, you can take one. Uh why why Luli Wolf version two from Arabian Nights, same boat as Rook Egg, um moving from two dollars to ten dollars, that's like a four hundred percent gain. Um ninety three, ninety four targeting, and I don't mean the format, I mean just the first couple of years of magic. Um, you know, they're they're gonna start they're gonna buy everything. <laughs> so you can get on that train or you can you can uh, admit that you're late to the station. Take your pick. <clears throat> so, how many Willuli wolves are you holding on to then? If you're advocating for it, like I'm not advocating no. for it, <laughs> and I'm not holding any. I mean, have a couple like from collections or bulk or whatever. But <clears throat> I think again, you don't want to be deep on any of this stuff because you can't unload it. Right. So. Yeah, I mean that's the main reason I've stayed away from all of it. Is that if you're not involved in the community that would want to buy and sell these types of cards trying to sell mp Wailulu wolves or tcg player is going to be a nightmare um you know if you're going to the old school events in your area if you're you know plugged into that community and the facebook events and that type of thing it's you know you go oh i know such and such has been building this deck i bet i can sell it to him uh or even you know, it doesn't even have to be that personal. But if you don't have that level of depth, uh, I would advocate ignoring these for the most part. Not because they won't make you money, just because well, they're much harder to deal with if you're not there to sell them. Well, and you can't even do the old school thing because this isn't an old school format card. It's just an old card. Yeah, and so, I mean, this thing taps to give something plus one, plus one. It's it's a garbage card. Card Kingdom will only give you 35 cents for them. The The only caveat 
is that if you have this stuff sitting around in binders, like you have partial collections that you're never going to finish now because they're too expensive or whatever, you might want to take a closer look and see whether any of them would, would grade 9 or 10. Because that's a different story. There are people that are going out of their way to collect entire sets now graded. And for instance, my father won't get anything less than a 9 at this point. So dudes like that might snap up your Wiluli Wolf, you know, 9.5 if you happen to have one sitting around in pristine condition. Sure. And I mean, the odds of you having that is very low. Yep. <laughs> um, especially if it's just sitting in a box someplace. But it can happen. You know, even if, even nines are, are, are not unreasonable if they're sitting in binders or something like that. And they were sleeved after being opened 25 years ago. So, yeah, it's possible. So next on the list, we've got Hidden Gibbons from Urza's Legacy. The foil's moving from 4 to 20+. plus. Again, this is just a card nobody ever plays. If somebody casts an instant or a sorcery, you get a 4-4 four, four for one green, but that just vanilla 4-4s four, and 5-5s, five, no matter how cheap they are, are almost pointless. Like The only one that's even remotely interesting right now is Hollow One because you get it for essentially free. Um, but this kind of thing, is it's not played anywhere. It's just, again, you're going to have to sell it to collectors. So you mm-hmm. might have one or two sitting around from the old days, and otherwise you can walk on by yeah a lot of very excellent cards this week here huh <laughs> <laughs> well the next one's interesting hieroglyphic hieroglyphic illumination out of Amonkhet. uh the foil is going from a dollar to twenty dollars in theory um and again i think you can point the arched eye- eyebrow at that given that it's a common and foil uncommons have trouble holding ten dollars even if they're played in modern relatively frequently let alone 20 um, this reeks like a buyout to me. This is just somebody that saw that this thing was replacing Opt in a lot of the blue, white, and Jeskai control decks and decided to make a move on it because the foils weren't that deep. That set was not particularly beloved. And so not that hard to corner the market for a short period of time. But uh, he- heading into rotation, these are going to start showing up in the stuff that gets dumped into stores. And I would expect some retracing back down towards 10. I mean, I find find it hard to believe or essentially still in print foil common is can hold over ten dollars oh i imagine it'll be three to six basically if it turns out that it is a four of in every deck that plays blue and you've also got you know and teferi really does hold his mantle then you know maybe eight bucks seven bucks uh but yeah that's that's generally about the, the reach of it i think germog angler was six to seven uh, foils were six to seven when he was in standard and he was very popular in multiple formats. Um, so, it w- and it would be hard to, re- to hit that level of reach, I think for the most part. So probably two to three on the low end, six to seven on the high end. Uh, so if you have them, I guess you hold on to them because you're never going to get 24 of them. And unless you can get some sucker to pay you 10, uh, you might want to ha- just hang on and wait till the price becomes a little more reasonable. Well, I mean, if you can post them on eBay and get them for 10 to t- like out them for 10 to 12, I think you go ahead and do that, which is probably what the person that bought them all up is already doing. Um, mm-hmm. Looking over the blue white list from this weekend, I don't see a whole lot of this card. <laughs> so um, I see a variety of things like Ancestral Vision, Serum Visions, Opt, not seeing the Hieroglyphic Illumination in many of the deck lists this weekend. Oh, this is, oh, yeah, this is Amoncat, right? Yeah. So. What? Okay, because I was thinking this was still going to be around after rotation, but it's not, is it? Nope. No, this is gone, so I don't know what they're thinking. Well, they, they're, I, they're I thinking that people were running this in control builds, and some of, some, some of those players are running it. But 
again, not insufficient quantity. And if it was a rare, totally different story. If it was a rare and it was getting run as a two of in blue white, like roughly forty or fifty percent of the time, then it could then the foils could hold. Like that would be fine. You but imagine, not as common. Can you imagine looking at this card and looking at Cryptic Command and picking hieroglyphic? hieroglyphic elimination <laughs> well the whole thing is that you basically get to cycle it during the early turns and in the late turns it draws you two cards at instant speed end of turn yeah so that's that's yeah. the it, that's the only reason it's getting played otherwise it it, it has it is fill, fulfills a unique slot because a lot of the other card draw options like serum visions and ancestral vision are you know sorcery speed effects so they don't let you hold up your mana which is pretty critical for that deck you know, without looking at the card pool, if you're trying to play blue-white flash in modern, you know, mostly all instant speed stuff, I still can't believe that this is your best choice. I suppose possibly given that it cycles, but... Uh, uh, um, all right, whatever. Segment two, card swatch. Uh, <laughs> feel like you've talked about this card before. <laughs> Why don't you give us a rundown? Oh, this is interesting. Uh, I forgot to fill in the numbers. Let me just do this really quickly off the top of my head. <laughs> there we go. So, Walking Ballista. Uh, I started putting together my article for rotation priorities for people this fall and quickly realized that this is probably the number one pick. Um, I think Doug uh, was talking about it on Brainstorm Brewery, or at least their crew was talking about it recently as well. Um, Walking Ballista is the third most played creature in modern right now. Shows up in like five or six different decks. <clears throat> it's in already in 5,000 ADH decks. Um, it's going to be a casual favorite forever because it has plus one, plus one counter um, implications. It works with big mana sinks. Um, does all sorts of fun little tricks. And it features prominently in Hardened Scales Affinity and Tron builds and all sorts of stuff. And gets played all the way back to Vintage because um, shops can make use of this kind of thing too. So... Currently about $12. I think that you wait for a nice fat eBay coupon, like a 20% off or something. And you snap up a whole bunch of copies somewhere in the $10 to $12 range. And then you just kick back and wait for it inevitably to hit $30 um, as one of the most played rare creatures in modern. We have yet to see a creature in that top five slot that did not achieve that goal. So think about things like Snapcaster Mage. Think about things like Noble Hierarch, um, Dark Confidant, um, you know, l ubiquitous creatures that fit into a bunch of different deck archetypes in modern um, are going to get their three to five years before they see a reprint. And you're going to get your chance to out this to a buy list in the mid high 20s minimum. And if it gets pushed, if, if it shows up in deck after deck after deck and posts up in five, six lists, and even if some of those lists fade out, some new ones are using it that fade in. Um, you know, this could hit 50 or 60 easily before a reprint. And it's a shoe-in candidate for like a, a master style set, but assuming that there's already a set on the books for release like spring next year, um, this will not be included because it just rotated. So there's no way it's on the priority list for that set. Uh, I had a couple thoughts. The first is I was going to say, man, like we really should just go buy the masterpiece. And then I realized they didn't masterpiece this one. <laughs> exactly. So you can only do pack foils. Um, I, I'm hmm. my first 
my first gut reaction is that like buying in at 10 to $12 feels a little high. Cause I'm like, eh, maybe like 18. I'm like, I don't know if I really want to sit on it. But then I'm like, mm, you know, if you go 18 months, two years without a reprint on this, it really does see, see it's playing modern. It's playing legacy. It's good. in EDH. It's good in cubes. Like it's just such a versatile card. It's so useful because of all the different, things it enables uh and i think about stuff like worm coil engine which you know shows up in a lot of edh decks and you know shows up in modern occasionally and tron and what have you and you know that's like 40 dollars or some nonsense and that's had a couple printings so i was like i i, I think it warmed up to walking bliss at about 10 bucks sure um you know it feels a little high but at the same time there's probably enough demand across the board uh, to justify it and that it will see a $25, $30 price tag given some time. Yeah. And the thing is like the, for a card that's about to rotate, a rare that's about to rotate, there are not that many results on TCG player. Like there's only like seven, less than 70 listings and the ramp is steep to tw towards 20. So I, I think that this is going to, you're going to see a bunch of these get dumped on the market shortly. As people start outing their standard decks, you're going to get your opportunity to get in where the cross-pollination of people dumping copies and a big eBay coupon or a TCG sale or whatever, or somebody selling off a collection or some standard decks and, you know, this is just gravy on top for something that you're buying out in the world. It's all going to work out for you. The um, the foils that you mentioned are already in very, very short supply. So they're already in like the $35 to $40 range. The ship has not totally sailed on them, but I think that their opportunity to double is less than the non-foils opportunity to triple at this point. Would be really? So you don't think $40 foil walking blisters are better than $12 non-foils? Nope. Because I think I, I would, I, I think, I think we called the foils when they were 15 or 20 mm -hmm. and that was correct because they've already yeah, doubled. Probably. So, but, and from 20, they could get to say 60. I think that's a reasonable target for the foils and they might get as high as 80 or hundred before they're reprinted. Um, especially if they do something silly like put it in a EDH deck in two years and then cut it off from a reprint for even longer um, in foil. Um, so at 20 to go to 80, that would have been a quad. But at 40 already, I think you're aiming at 80, which is a double. And I think that on the non-foils, the ramp already teases 20. So if you can pick them up at anywhere near 10 to 12 and aim to get out near 30, I think you're solid. Okay. I'm going to diverge a little bit. I think the foils are very good because I think that the play pattern um, and the individuals who are going to be most interested in this will be the type of people to want foils. So you're going to have people who want one of copies for EDH decks. You're going to have people who are running one to two for their modern deck combo. You're going to have people who are um, playing it in legacy as a one or two outside the thing. Uh, Cause I don't think, in the other formats, it's typically a playset, right? Like I could be speaking out of turn, but I'm pretty sure it tends not to be a playset, which, you know, to me just says like, okay, the, there's going to be a fair bit of demand, but people who really want it uh, are going to be the type to foil it. Uh, but maybe not, maybe not. I mean, $40 is a hike. And I mean, you know, it was a good pick at 20 for sure. Uh, I guess I still, I guess my point is that I still like it even at $40 for foils. I like both. Let's be clear. Sure. The, um, uh, I, you know, I just think the non-foils have more room to run, but the, and it, it's weird and modern right now because like common sense would say with the risk, uh, basically if you have a foil card in modern, your whole deck has to be foil and how many people are really doing that, mm. but they are like, I get, I sell modern foils every day. So people are buying them. 
and and maybe that's because at, at a local like a local rules enforcement level um you know it's less of a big deal or maybe it's because those people like at a local level people don't necessarily swing with the meta as often like they're more willing to commit to their foil deck because they don't really care they're just going to play it whether it's good or not some dude at my local meta has been playing living end for f- four or five years when it was terrible when it was good you know it just won this weekend so now i'm sure he feels vindicated mm. but the you know uh the foils will sell yeah for sure. And and the fact that it goes back to vintage where people will are much more prone to foil things out so that they can have, you know, the card looks fancy across from their Black Lotus is all the more reason why foils were super sweet like 12 months That's ago. That's why you bought the Russian foils, right? Oh, yeah. I got an offer on one the other day around, I think I wanted 150 for it or something and they offered 120. I f- turned them down. Flat. Yeah, I mean, even 150 no, feels like it's no. probably too cheap, honestly. I, I think you compare this, like I said, to High Arc, Snapcaster, and uh, Dark Confidant. And if you look at the Russian foil prices for original pack foils on those, they are sky high. So there's no reason to be selling under 200 mm-hmm. in a rush. Um, okay, so good topic. Uh, my first card of the week, I'm going to go with Carnage Tyrant. Um, this is the, uh, the big boy from uh, Ixalan. Uh, the uh, what is it six four? Oh, I should have pulled this up before I start talking. The seven, sorry, seven six. It's not siege worm. It's ice worm. Uh, no craw worm. It's not craw worm. It's ice worm. Six mana seven six can't be countered. Trample hexproof. So can't be countered and hexproof. Both of those are huge yep. keyword key key abilities in this upcoming standard. Teferi is really looking like he's going to be the pillar of standard. Um, you're also getting the new Abrupt Decay Assassin's Trophy, which is just two mana to destroy any permanent um, and give the loser some land or some crap. Uh, and there's a couple other removal spells, but what's really important... Oh, we also saw... We've seen so far two sweepers, neither of which hit this card. Um, so we're seeing a lot of answers, but it looks like very little is lining up to kill Carnage Tyrant. Now, there's definitely going to be cards out there that do it, and if he becomes a key player in the metagame, people will, will make sure they're playing main deck copies to answer Carnage Tyrant. The point is, is that other decks are going to have to... If you're the guy showing up with Carnage Tyrant, you just get to ram seven power into people's faces, and they have to bend over backwards to adopt to you. So he's very well positioned as an aggressive threat in the format. Um, and, you know, I just had some friends who were playing at a local competitive event. I don't know if it was a PPTQ <laughs> or an RPTQ or something. And he, they said, like, you know, their friend was playing Mono Green with Carnage Tire. And he's like, I don't understand why it wasn't what more widely played because every single game that we cast it, we won. Um, you know, it's anecdotal, but it, it you know, says something, I think. And to that, that there was the, um, there's that three mana clone effect in, uh, in Ravnica that has jumpstart. So it's three mana make a, token of a creature you control and then you can jumpstart and do it again so if you ramp twice between turns one and three you can turn four carnage tyrant turn five clone him jumpstart clone him and have three carnage tyrants in play which sounds kind of sounds kind of goofy right like you're like oh yeah okay whatever like that's not that big of a deal Nasty. Uh, it sounds very like uh johnny timmy type of thing but you know when you've got 21 hexproof trample power like that's not a joke and I, I actually wrote about this several weeks ago when that idea first got floated. And I said, hey, look, this is a cool idea because Jumpstart works really well with Blue Green Ramp, but you're going to need another piece to that puzzle. And I'm like, 
what the deck probably wants to see is divination with jumpstart because you can cast it or you know or a four mana divination because you can cast it early with your ramp and then later on when you draw land war elf on turn eight you can just div- you can throw him away and he becomes a divination which is all you want at that turn of the game um and then they printed it they printed that exact card it's it's that they you know it was spoiled this past week so it's looking like the tools might be there but even beyond just this blue green you know play as many carnage tyrants as you can deck um he's just really well positioned in the standard metagame and your buy-in right now is about 17 dollars, so he's not cheap and he's not under the radar people sure know about him but i do think that he could end up as probably the best green card in the format or close to it would and post up between 25 and 35 dollars basically you know if it turns into teferi versus carnage tyrant and standard he'll definitely be up around 30 dollars um so i'm not advocating that you pull tcg player and fire off 200 dollars on play sets but i do think that you want to be trading at the very least trading aggressively for these at your local store um because i think there's a lot of margins to be earned there if you're the type of guy who's trading uh and if you've got some store credit if you catch some catch these on sale somewhere in the next week or two uh i do think you could do a lot worse and the nice thing about carnage Tyrant is your turnaround time on this could be like a month right like way faster than everything else we talk about true so if you're right and the metagame develops and a deck posts up in the top three decks of the format and this is a three or a four of then yes it can it can get there. My fear with these kind of standard specs is that for every five of these you fire off, you hit on two of them, and you better be doing really well. So on a mythic, I'm to, in standard that I think is about to pop or has a solid chance of popping. I really want to be in in the six to twelve dollar range, so that if it gets up into the mid twenties, I'm doubling mm-hmm. minus fees, etc. At eighteen dollars, it really has. Even if it hits thirty and it's a four of my play sets aren't that exciting to out. So this carries a lot of risk. And I think that your comments about, you know, trading into it, maybe exiting via rotating staples or something into this, if you need to play with it, is totally fine. Um, I agree that I don't think you want to go super deep on it. Um, but it's something to like, you know, if you're, if you're, this is the kind of spec where if you're testing standard already and you're trying to figure out decks with your play group and this is testing really well, you should feel much more confident about the spec than I do right now. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you're totally, totally correct that it, there is that sort of concern, right? And and I'm in the same boat as standard. Neither of us tends to gravitate towards standard picks anymore because it's much less of a grand slam than it used to be. Um, so, it's totally valid. I guess, I, you know, a couple thoughts. One is that uh, the while it is not as rock solid as some of the other choices we have, uh, the turnaround time is very short, right? Like really you could pick up copies today in September 16th and before Halloween, they could be $30. Um, I mean, just the, 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 the window for these to get there is very fast. So yes, the percentage returns are very low, but the time in which you could do it, like you could buy these at 15, uh, sell them play sets at 30, uh, and still be able to buy into the $12 walking ballistas and the price won't have changed. You, you'll still have the same entry point on the walking ballistas, right? Like that's the time frame is so short on that. The other thing that the reason that I like this more than I would most $15, $17 standard mythics is that the card's been this expensive since he was printed. And he hasn't been that popular so far. Like he hasn't been like a, the Teferi level of popularity in standard or like a major, major, major card. 
but he's still holding that price tag, which to me says there's enough latent demand here that even if he doesn't become a tier staple, you're still going to be able to get out of him without losing a cent. And I think I think your backstop is virtually what you pay for him, um, which is why I'm so much more comfortable with this than I would be in most other situations. All right. Fair enough. Um, all right. So my next one this week is Inventor's Fair. Um, the foils of which Cliff picked not too long ago. I believe it was episode 129. So seven episodes ago, Cliff was talking about foils at 12 to get to 25. That's a slam dunk. Fully agree. I've been in on them for a while. But I wasn't really looking at the non-foils until I realized that this card is already in 15,000 EDH decks. Ooh. It's in multiple modern decks. It is basically just as popular um, as the... It, it's it's at the height of popularity for any card printed in the last two years in EDH. And the reason for that is it's open-ended synergy and artifact decks. It's a slam dunk in any deck that, it, that can afford to have a colorless land that cares about artifacts because it eventually tutors one up. And in theory, artifact decks tend to be combo-rific, so this tends to fit. Um, it's also the kind of card that, again, is not going to see reprint given our regular reprint schedules for three to five years. Um you know, when it shows up, it could show up as a non-foil in a Fall Commander series. So hopefully you you out before they get around to doing that. Um, but I have a feeling that if you get in on these in the 2 to 250 range near to rotation and aim to exit somewhere between 6 and 8 to buy lists in, within the next couple of years, you're going to do just fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, 15,000 EDH decks is nothing to sneeze at. That is a huge take up. Um, and if you're paying two bucks, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think seven, eight, nine dollars is, is entirely plausible. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. P- yeah play, pay paying two bucks, $2. get yeah. out seven, eight, nine. Totally on board. Uh, you know, you're probably like, you know, you can do that in a year, really, if if not less. Yeah, and if you're looking for a shorter hold period to go with Cliff's original call, the foils are still out there in the ten to fourteen dollar range, and I think that they hit okay. thirty to forty. Um, long before long before they ever see okay. a reprint i think good good choice uh yeah not much to say about it uh my next one this week is going to be uh, a little uh different direction i'm gonna go with um bullrath's stronghold uh it is the reserve list card that uh returns zombies from your graveyard to your top of your library to land for two mana put target zombie card from your graveyard type your library very powerful Volaras Stronghold has been popular for a long time. It's in about 9,000, 10,000 EDH decks, which is on the lower side for what I would expect. But because it's, a, it's, I have been aware of EDH for like, uh, I'm going to go with nine years. And I don't think it was ever less than 20. Like it might've been like 17. So it's always had a price tag on it, um, which I'm sure has kept it out of a lot of decks. Uh, other, I would expect that the volume of play on this card to be a lot higher than that if it were cheaper. But at 50 bucks, uh, I think this is primed to go. We've seen tons of reserve list staples rocket up, um, and this is one of them, but it's actually playable. All right, this is actually a good card where a lot of the cards that we see jump aren't. Uh, frankly, I'm not sure how it's managed to dodge a spike so far. Um, but to give you a frame of reference, Sarah's Sanctum, which is not the same set, but close to it. looks like it's about $130 right now. Um, 
And I, I would expect the distribution on those to be pretty similar. And I would also expect Volarize Stronghold to generally be more popular. Uh, I say this without actually having typed Sarah's Sanctum into EDH rack yet. Let's see. Yeah, 3,500 on Sarah's Sanctum. So Volarize Stronghold is more than twice as popular as Sarah's Sanctum and is about a third of the price. Uh, so, you know, even, even to, on today's list, we saw several Mirage cards go. Uh, and uh, Volarize Stronghold is uh, not, not whether light. Uh, stronghold, not very, not much longer after Mirage. So, fifty dollars strong Volarize Stronghold. I think you're an easy double up, possibly, possibly higher. Interesting. You should mention this card because it came up in my dialogue on Twitter this weekend while I was pointing out that my uh, article on the Rational Reserve list that was published in August of 2017 listed like ten cards from the reserve list. I thought were were likely to go up and I quoted prices for where I thought they would hit by this time. And without fail, we nailed just about every single one of them. Hmm. And with stronghold, which made that list, um, current price was 30 to 35 at the time. And I said, future price within 12 to 18 months would be 50 plus. And lo and behold, here we are. So now you're saying, okay, we're at 50, but Sarah Sanctum is roughly the same number of copies and it's a third of the interest in EDH and it's double the price. So this has a reason to pop up. Can't say I argue with that. It's really going to be about, it's going to be a supply driven event, right? So the next time somebody decides to mop up 20 or 30 copies of this, that will probably be that Mm -hmm. tipping point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying there's going to be a surge in demand tomorrow, but people have been pushing on these reserveless cards a lot you know, obviously the last year or so. And I'm kind of surprised that this one hasn't gotten caught yet. Uh, so just seems like a good one because it's very usable. It's a very playable reserve list card, which to me is one of the most important things. And the ramp on TCG player, for instance, goes from 50 to 70 in a hurry. And then there's some copies listed over a hundred, um, about slightly less than 30 copies listed total. There's no foils of this card. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm holding for, what's that, for that, what that's worth. I don't think I'm buying at 50 because I'm aiming for better than a double up, believe it or not. But the, I, I think it's rock solid at 50. Whether, whether it takes six months or two years, I don't know for sure. But I think that you will end up being right and this will hit 100. Okay. Well, there you go. What do you got next for us? Uh. My final pick of the week is should also be obvious to anybody who's paying attention to the most popular cards from Kaladesh block, especially in EDH, Panharmonicon, um, meme value, Saffron Olive's constant obsession with the card, um, the fact that I'm awesome and I play it in Frontier. I mean, all of these things contribute to why you should be buying Panharmonicon foils at 15, expecting to out them at 40. Um, this is, in, again, like Inventor's Fair in 15,000 EDH decks, it doubles the number of come-into-play uh, abilities off uh, the creatures that you put into play. Uh, and because of that, uh, is it creatures or creatures and artifacts, uh, actually? It's probably creatures and artifacts just because it's from Kaladesh. Let me just double-check that. I should know that off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah, it's creatures and artifacts. So... The fact that it doubles comes into play abilities for four mana means it's going to be a long-term staple in EDH. Eventually, it probably gets reprinted in a commander deck, so I like the foils better than the non-foils. But as with Inventor's Fair, you may easily outpace uh, a reprint with with the price appreciation. Um, You can also pick up uh, non-foils in the $4 range if you like those better. Um, It's going to be a casual staple, too, because it's exactly the kind of janky four of some casual throws into a kitchen table deck. 
and supply is much deeper on the non-foils than it is on the foils, but I think you can get a mixture of both and be very happy within a two-year horizon. Sure. I mean, the card is awesome. Um, foil Panharmonica, that card, it's going to get played in EDH until the end of time. I agree with you that it's turning into a bit of a meme card uh, with some of the appeal that we're seeing here. Uh, so I, I don't have a lot to say other than I like it. I mean, I remember when the card came out and everyone was like, oh, yeah, here you go. Here is your your like mega slam dunk EDH card from Kaladesh. Um, so I don't think a lot of a lot of convincing is necessary, honestly. Yeah, I found a stack of the like these I bought from Haruya early on because they're always slow to react to EDH cards yeah. when they're first announced. And I got non foils for like two bucks English, and foil Japanese copies <laughs> for like uh, six dollars or something. It's pretty nice. I know yeah. I've got a bunch, some amount of them. I don't know where they are, but I know I picked some up because I was anticipating the same thing. So anyway, they, we with all the stuff that's rotating, I, you don't need to rush to buy them right this second. You wait for the coupon. You wait to see if it slides a little further. You know, the the supply in the non foils is is not is is pretty deep, relatively deep. So you're not in a huge rush to get on board, but with the foils, you probably don't want to wait that long because they, you know, the demand from this is mostly coming from EDH. So the lack of standard, like the standard rotation schedule does not heavily impact an EDH foil at all. Um, so there's no reason to wait for four weeks. No, I agree. Um, and they're going to start to fall out of uh, attention pretty fast here. Um, mm-hmm. Once they get out of standard, I think that's when you'll start to see the <clears throat> price move a little more so, all right, let's move on to segment three, our metagame week in review. Stockholm, Hong Kong, and <laughs> New York, all modern events. Um, we've got Bant Spirits taking down Stockholm. Follow, uh, let's see, they also took third. We had several blue-white control backs and a just guy control back, so a big deal over there. Uh, and I'm also seeing um, mono-white martyr, which I know you had mentioned, which is uh, amusing. Yeah, in the hands of Elias Clocker at Stockholm, finishing in the top eight. The interesting to me was that they were running a copy of Archangel Avacyn in the main, um, and also a copy of Crucible Worlds, which would seem to be uh, a nod to the plethora of Field of Ruins, and also their interest, perhaps, um, in bringing back a myriad of Sky Ruins that other people have destroyed, Um or reusing their own field of ruins and ghost quarters against decks like Tron and anybody who's got a uh, ambitious mana base. Yeah, it does make you wonder if we're going to see um, Crucible of World play an even bigger part of Modern with Assassin's Trophy on the way, um, possibly being used as a form of land destruction because it's destroy target permanent, right? Uh, and then they fetch for a basic land so you can possibly run people out of cards. It is permanent, right? I'm not crazy. Is it non-land? It's not non-land. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, yeah, so it's, you can it's permanent. Lands with it. Um, so, uh, the, yeah, so the ability get to a just, basic. you know, return the land they just blew up might be very valuable. Well, I mean, there's almost, somebody's going to toy with a green-black uh like mid-range control deck that's going to run Ghost Quarters, Field of Ruins to whatever degree they can they can handle it, a Crucible of Worlds and Assassin's Trophies, and they're just going to try to lock people out of good mana. And the fact that Assassin's Trophy into Tarmogoyf is pretty sexy, right? Because you're putting an instant and a land in the graveyard at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And lands, you know, the, neither of those are difficult to put in the play in Modern uh, with fetches and what have you, but at least mm-hmm. it, does, it still gives you the the line of play. 
Yeah, exactly. Also, a walking ballista in that deck. Uh, Day of Judgment as their their Wrath of Choice on top of two copies of Wrath. This is the Martyr's the kind of deck that shows up in a like top eight per year or something. So it's it's never going to be the kind of thing that's going to make you a ton of money. But it's interesting to see things like Walking Ballista that the card's so good that it pops up in random archetypes. Yeah, that is kind of curious. I wonder what the strategy was there. Uh, it, you get it back with you can fetch it up with Ranger of Eos, and you get it back with. Uh, whatever the thing is that brings back their creatures. Oh, uh, uh, Proclamation Sun- Rebirth. Yeah, and Sun Titan. Oh, Sun, Sun Titan. Well, no, Sun Titan wouldn't work because it returns it to play. It'll come into play oh. and die. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, Pro- Proclamation, I think, is uh, is what because that's how it loops, converted monocost one or less. Yeah. <clears throat> that's kind of interesting, yeah, and then you can get it with Ranger VO. So, I mean, it's nice that they can tutor a creature that's a form of removal. Uh, and I guess you can marry it too, right? So that's kind of cool. I like that attack. So otherwise, nothing too exciting in these these lists. It's interesting that Bant Spirits has pulled up alongside humans, and they seem to be coexisting in the format. Um, both being, you know, tribal, aggro tribal decks with controlish elements. Um, you know, the Bant Spirits running collected companies and other vials, and having stuff like Spell Queller. Whereas the humans are using stuff like Kite Sail Freebooter, but they're doing a lot of the same things, like putting, you know, uh, disruptive flying creatures into play that mess with the opponent's game plan. Um, and both of them are using Phantasmal Image to get duplicate effects, etc. Um, so over in GP Hong Kong in the top eight, we had Tron finishing first, Bridgevine finishing second, and then in fourth, Jeskai Miracles, Burn, Jund, and do Humans decks. The deck that caught my attention there was Jeskai Tempo. Um, this is uh, definitely an interesting little brew. This is not a deck I've seen recently. This thing runs uh, two Gideon Ally of Zendikar, three Figure of Destiny. <laughs> Two Grim Lava Mancer, four Snapcaster Mage, three Geist of Saint Traff, four Spell Queller, one Restoration Angel, Lightning Bolts, Ops, Path to Exile, Spell Pierce, Lightning Helix, and Mana Leak. I'm pretty sure I put this deck together, like almost like within five cards, two years back, and showed it to some people at my like F and M, and they just laughed and said that that can't possibly <laughs> work. Um. <laughs> so i very amused to see this show up in the top eight um with this particular configuration i think i was building this before spell queller existed and i don't think i was running figure of destiny but very curious to see whether this jeskai tempo brew will uh, show up again somewhere well, else figure of destiny is real interesting that's the card that inspired um oh god the level up mechanic what the hell is it called is it called level up i don't remember what is the level up mechanic called from Rise of Eldrazi. Oh, I don't remember off the top of my head. Level, I think it's just level up, isn't Jeez, it? Jeez, feel bad. Level? Yeah, I think it's level. Okay. Uh, yeah, I agree. I noticed that the uh, Hard and Skills Affinity showed up again, um, which is kind of kind of curious. Uh, just like, okay, I, I mean, it's going to keep showing up, I guess. Uh, certainly no signs of slowing down there. But yeah, beyond that, nothing too exciting. The living end, but you know, it's a small star city for the most part. So I don't think it means too much. Uh, if you're seeing kind of weird decks like that, make it that weren't otherwise looking good. 
Yeah, so the Star City Games event, it was Living End winning the whole thing, and then Humans Burn, Humans, Hardened Scales Affinity, Storm, Blue White Control, and Burn. So again, across 24 decks in the top eight, this is a relatively diverse and interesting metagame. Um, there was a pro talking about Hardened Scales Affinity on Twitter the last couple of days saying that they thought Animation Module might be underplayed at two copies, and that they... That people running the deck should be looking at running at least three, if not four. Hmm. So I thought that was uh, that was potentially interesting since you can still get cheap non-foil copies of that card. Yeah, we talked um, about that of course, last week or the week before. Yeah. And, and of course, Hardened Scales is still in position to make us money. And this, this whole I love this whole deck because this deck is going to make me money <laughs> on Hangerback Walker, Steel Overseer, Masterpieces, and then Walking Ballista, non- foils and non-foils. Uh, hardened scales foils and animation module foils all of that uh, is great I'm I'm curious that they don't run a ruins of Orin Reef that's the one from the last Zendikar block that puts an extra plus one plus one counter on a colorless creature that came into play this turn mm-hmm. um, and since they can run crap like Phyrexia's core and Pendlehaven it feels like they could fit that in somewhere maybe I don't know the strategy well enough to know if it's worth the slot Sometimes something that looks really obvious just ends up not being any good at all. Well, it comes into play tapped, so it's definitely slow. But is indestructible on the four copies of Darksteel Citadel that important? Mm, it will be against Assassin's Tomb. <laughs> or Assassin's yep, Trophy. True. Assassin's Trophy, yeah. All right, actually, let's let's move on over to our topic of the week, which is some early takes on Guilds of Ravnica. I don't think we either of us has locked in on the must-acquire cards from a speculation perspective, but we can talk over a few well, this, interesting things. It's tricky. I mean, um, the the snap-like format-changing card is is Assassin's Trophy. There's no question. The problem is there's no room for speculation whatsoever. If you could short magic cards, I would, uh, but shorting magic cards means that you're a vendor, right? Like, that's the only option. Um, that card, there's not a person yeah. alive who hasn't recognized that that card's going to be a big deal for a lot of formats and it's going to have a lot of implications for a lot of cards all of which are not necessarily foreseeable yet um but something like maybe more crucible worlds will get played because it gives you a way to get your important lands back that they're blowing up or people are gonna have to play more basics which means these other card types other cards get more get better because you're playing basics because of assassin's trophy those types of ripples are going to be out there in modern and legacy and what have you so keep an eye out for them and you might be able to catch some sideboard cards to get a lot more popular all of a sudden exactly so I was right about what the final Mythic Edition Planeswalker was. It was a four mana casting cost Vraska. Um, but I don't think anybody's super excited about this. This looks like a EDH role player that's going to show up in a few different decks, but not the kind of thing that's going to blow anybody's socks off. So it's two black green for a four loyalty Vraska. Plus two, you may sacrifice another permanent. If you do, you gain one life and draw a card. Lots of ways to abuse that for value in things like Maldratha um, in EDH. The minus three is basically cast Abrupt Decay, destroy target non-land permanent with converted mana cost three or less. And then the minus nine gives you an emblem that says anytime you deal combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. So a lot of interesting build around elements. Um, and maybe I'll look at foils when once I see where they settle. Uh, yes, I, I don't know if I'm really on board to do much here. Um, you know, all the Planeswalkers tend to be I don't know. Middling. Not that appealing mm-hmm. to me out of the gate just because they're priced so high. Uh, anyways, um, we also saw uh, Ral Zarek, who I, we haven't talked about yet. 
who follows the extremely common yeah overused archetype the that overused archetype yeah. yeah it's like uh the plus you know it's a five on a planeswalker who's plus one gives you slightly better than draw a card the minus ability removes a troublesome permanent and the ultimate is a slow grind to victory uh and that is you know like nine planeswalkers we've described um but to be fair wizards did listen because every time they printed a planeswalker that didn't give you card advantage on the one and didn't protect itself with removal it was unplayable so i'm pretty surprised that at this point they haven't really toyed lately toyed with like the templating for planeswalkers like we've had some flip planeswalkers but we haven't had this like don't give it the full three, the up, the down, and the ultimate. Like, why don't you just give it an up and then it has a static enchantment style ability? Like, every time you damage this, every time somebody attacks this planeswalker, you draw a card or something. And it's not, yeah. And it's not like inactivated, it's just a static. Yeah, they seem to be more uh, willing to experiment early on. You know, we had Sark and the Mad shortly after Alara block uh who had all neutrals and negatives but he had no positives um and we had planeswalkers who had no negatives uh which i think happens a little bit now but i agree that they really haven't pushed those at all and we haven't seen a subset of cards either to support them like uh you know when this card comes in the play when this creature comes into play add a loyalty counter to a planeswalker you control or you know whenever you play a planeswalker you know the oaths are a little bit of that but yeah they they haven't really pushed them very much and i'm not clear why uh a little disappointing honestly so of the split cards the card that jumps out at me is going to be a big deal in the long term uh is connive and concoct the demir one so two blue black blue black hybrid uh sorcery gain control of target creature with power two or less yeah not that exciting but it's a slightly worse uh threads of disloyalty Yes, yeah, 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 which is fine. I mean, that card was actually very powerful for a little while. But the other side is definitely sexy. Concoct, three blue, black. First of all, it's a blue reanimation spell. That's weird. Concoct, three blue, black, sorcery, surveil three. So look at the top three cards of your library and choose to put however many you want into your graveyard, leave the rest on top. And then return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Mm-hmm. So, because of the way this is templated, you can do that with Emrakul the Eons Torn. Uh, he doesn't shuffle back in. If, if you hit it, him with the it all happens as part. Of, yeah, because he, it all happens with the same resolution. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That card. I. It's funny because I was flipping through this too, and I noticed him, and I was like, "Huh, he seems pretty legitimate." And then I mentioned it to my friend, and there he's like, "Oh yeah, he keyed in on the same card. That that seemed very powerful." Yeah. And <clears throat> First of all, I think I think we can probably both agree surveil is the most likely to be busted mechanic <laughs> in the same way that Delve was in KTK. I think surveil is at least in standard going to be a force to be reckoned with um, if it has enough synergies that come together on curve. Um, and then the question becomes, are any of the surveil cards portable to modern at a low enough casting cost and with a big enough impact in something like, you know, dredge style decks? Well, they're certainly pushing this, right? Like they want Orb of Her- or um sorry, they want Surveil to matter. Uh and it looks like there's going to be a Surveil deck in standard. They're certainly trying to set that up. So we know that Wizards wants it to be real. And I so we know I mean obviously Convoke is nuts too, right? Like that's already made its 
presence fell in every other format. But Surveil does look very powerful because it's better than Scry, and Scry is a good ability. Um, so I, I, you know, it's it's you know, I look at a card like Connivan Concoct and. You know, a five mana sorcery speed reanimation spell is like, I'm not sure where I want to play that. But at the same time, we had, uh, what was it? The black white one from Innistrad. Uh, you know, you could flash it was black on the front half and then you could flash it back for white on the back half. Uh, defined standard alongside Craterhoof Behemoth. So uh, it's possible that that will uh, be a big deal. It's hard to know at the moment. So Assassin's Trophy, we talked about, uh, we should just probably make the note that jumping in on this card early is wrong. This set is going to be very popular, similar to Dominaria, I would guess. Uh, a lot of it's going to get opened. And buying a box on early on eBay for like 75 or 80 from Sports and More or whatever, and relying on the fact that you're going to pop at least a copy of Assassin's Trophy per per box, roughly, like, you can get skunked, but you're probably going to see one if you open enough of this set or you do a lot of drafting. So you don't need to rush out and grab these at 40. That's for sure. Um, this, th- If you look at the price, how hard the price of Abrupt Decay fell off the last time we had a Ravnica block, and it was just as, whoa, can't be countered. That's such a big deal. This thing can be countered. So the impact on Abrupt Decay specs is that they are weaker because... Uh, Golgari and Jund decks in Modern and elsewhere, Casual and EDH, are going to play some mix of Trophy and Abrupt Decay. Um, in EDH, because it's Singleton, obviously it, it matters less. Everybody will run Trophy in these colors because it will fit into every single deck. So long term, the foils for Trophy are going to be amazing. But you want to wait till we get to peak supply before you, you, you jump in. And that's going to be a while too. Um, Abrupt Decay took a long time before it was right to buy I believe was that huge at release. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, it was it, the same, almost exactly the same reaction. Was it? Because I know that it fell off really hard. <clears throat> uh, people kind of stopped caring about it for a little while. Because I remember one day being at the store and looking up the price and being like, "Oh, this is like four dollars," and trading for every copy in the bind in every binder in the store that day. Um, so it definitely had waned at one point. I just couldn't remember the the popularity at launch. So another card that jumped out at me is very likely to see significant EDH and a a smattering of modern play over time is Knight of Autumn. The one green, white, dryad, knight, rare. 2-1, whenever it enters the battlefield, choose one. Either you put two plus one plus one counters on Knight of Autumn or you destroy target artifact or enchantment or you gain four life. So in exchange for Reclamation Sage's one colorless mana being turned into a white mana, you have the option to either gain four life or get a four, three instead of a two, one. Yeah, this card, if it weren't for Assassin's Trophy, this would be the card. This would be like the one of the best cards in the set. It's unreal how much this card does. And it, I guess people, some people are going to look at that and be like, I can get all of these <clears throat> effects elsewhere. Like, I don't have to have it on here. But what's so critical about this is that it's basically two sideboard cards stapled to a 4-3. It's like... It's like, does your deck have problematic artifacts and enchantments? Okay, then like I have four main deck answers to them. 
Uh, are you a burn deck or a pressure in my love title? I have four cards that give me 16 life total. Uh, I, I, I have a blocker that I have a blocker that negates two of your spells that are in your hand. Yeah, it's like, okay, are you neither of those? Are you not pressuring my life total and you're not playing meaningful artifacts or enchantments? Fine, I have a three mana four three. And you just get to play this main because there's no reason not to. So this is going to be everywhere. I think not just in standard, but I think it's going to be really popular in modern too. How many opponents are you going to sit down across from in modern where this card doesn't do something? I don't think it's going to be really popular in modern. Like I, th- I think like Todd Stevens is going to tell us he'll slot one into Value Town for sure, um, and maybe he runs like two or three copies between the main and the sideboard. But the thing is that that deck is not, you know, we, we didn't see we saw zero copies of anything that would run this in the top eight this weekend out of twenty four top eight slots. It's not it, it's not a human, so it's not going to get. Uh, oh, actually, that's not true. I was going to say it's not going to get pay, played in humans, but I did see humans pros saying that they would probably run this. Um, either a one of in the main or one of in the sideboard or two of in the sideboard, depending on the meta. Because despite being not being a human, it was still that good. Yeah, it's just really versatile. I don't think it's a type of card that like you're it's not gonna make it a archetype but anytime you're playing a deck that can play this card you're gonna be playing some number of them so uh i'm hoping that it's not that popular at the outset or that like you know prices drop because i would love to get foils of this for a couple bucks a piece so if surveil is good doom whisper has to be the banner card probably as a four of in that deck three black black six six flying trample pay to life surveil two and do that as much as you want. Yeah, that card is nuts. You're looking at it and you're like, okay, where's the downside? Like, where is the part of this that makes it a black demon where I have to, you know, that's a problem to have in play. And it's just not so, there. So Desecration Demon was a big deal as a 6-6 six, six flyer for four that your opponents could tap down with their own creatures. For one more mana, you get no downside, Flying Trample 6-6, six, six, and you can surveil two as much as your life can afford. Yep. You also had um, Abyssal uh, Shoot. What the heck was his name? Abyssal, pro- not Prosecutor. The one from like World Wake or whatever. Persecutor. Persecutor. The persecutor. Yeah, who uh, form on a 6-6 six, six flyer. I don't even think he was Trample. Um, you, you can't win the game and they can't lose right, the game. Right, so you had to find a way to get rid of him before you could play. And this is like 5-6-6 right. six, six with all upside. And it's like, oh, they're pointing a removal spell at it? Okay, I'm just going to surveil and then surveil and then surveil. Okay, like I found my second copy that I will just play on my next turn after I untap. So, And from an, ED, from an EDH perspective, if surveil was to become evergreen, oh boy, the best of the surveil cards, the mythics are going to be a big deal. And the thing about Doom Whisper is it doesn't even need that to happen because Doom Whisper is just a great EDH card, whether there's e- like any surveil synergy in your deck whatsoever, because surveil naturally interacts with all the other graveyard strategies that are popular in black, green, or black, blue. So in Sultai and those colors, this thing does so much work. Like I probably try this in Muldratha because it keeps putting new shit in my graveyard. <laughs> so and if you have some kind of like i have a whole bunch of infinitely if you have infinite life or something this lets you like stack your whole deck right yeah it's it's nuts how much work this can do for you in certain situations yeah so anything else jump out at you um i mean the set in general is looking very juiced um i think there's a lot of exciting cards here for players um let me think here. Uh, I'm looking through to try and remember what 
what I had thought as I saw them. I'm noticing we got um, the new ritual of soot. Just four mana sorcery, destroy all creatures with converted mana cost three or less. This is um, the sorcery speed consume the meek, which was a really big deal in standard at the time. I shouldn't say really big deal, but it was very played in standard. Uh, so a cheaper consume the meek um, is, is, is pretty powerful. That could end up being... Um, a big part of standard, especially uh, again, possibly in like the surveil deck where you kind of have some setup on your first few turns, your ritual on turn four and then turn five, you play your demon. Um, I also noticed Lotleth giant. So it's a seven mana six, five uh, when it enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to target opponent for each creature card in your graveyard. Now a seven mana six, five is not really exciting, but that trigger can do 20 damage to your opponent's face if you have 20 creatures in your graveyard. Well, there are a lot of creatures with dredge written on them. So this could be a new finisher for certain dredge strategies. You're not going to see in like the Vengevine Hollow One decks because that's not what they're trying to do. But this does sort of shorten the uh, finisher for other dredge strategies. Um, they used to, for instance, Dread Return Flamekin Zealot. Um, to give all your bridge from below tokens haste and attack. But now it's just going to be sure. play all the dredge creatures, uh, dread return lot with giant, hit you for 25, we're done here. Um, I don't yeah. know how much it's going to matter <clears throat> financially, uh, but it is nice that it, those decks get a cleaner solution. Mm -hmm. A few other uh, EDH cards that popped out at me. Omni Spell Adept, that's the four blue for a three four, two and a blue, tap it, you may cast an instant or sorcery card from your hand without paying its mana mm -hmm. cost. That's juicy. Mm -hmm. um, the what was the other one? Uh, there was a green one. Vivid Renewal Sorcery for and uh, a green return up to three target multicolor cards from your graveyard to your hand and then exile it. So probably the kind of thing that might fit into Maldratha. Yeah. Um, I would I would expect that to end up in the top fifteen EDH cards in the set. Vazav, the multifarious, two mana one three, oh, could yeah. get people to try yeah, and yeah. play combo decks with him. Like in modern, you know, you have like training grounds, and there's something else that set it up. And I I don't remember what the combo is, but there's something you can do with them. So I don't think that they're good, but they're there, um, and the, that makes cause short-term runs on some weird combo pieces in modern when those lists pop up yeah i mean lazada i think i would target more as an edh card but if it shows up in modern it wouldn't you know as a training grounds decks pop up here and there <laughs> and and yes. randomly top eight or top 16 things so we'll see where it goes the other one for edh is bounty agent that's the vigilance human soldier two two for two sack it destroy target large legendary permanent that's an artifact creature or enchantment that targets a lot of nasty business in the format. So if you're running a deck that gets to like recurse this guy, it's going to do a lot of work against opposing commanders. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, another card we should probably touch on mission briefing. The, the spell snapcaster blue, blue surveil two, then use snapcasters ability. Um, right. <clears throat> no, this specifically does not change timing. So you can't do sorceries unless it's your turn. Um, so in place, it's one extra blue than Samcaster. And in place of a 2-1 body, you get the surveil too. I want to be clear here that that's awful. Like the 2-1 body on Samcaster is so important. So don't think this is the new Snapcaster mage. That surveil too is not good enough. The body is extremely important in that. So just want to be 
Say that but out loud did, so people don't but, think but, this is a new Snapcaster. But it does leave me wondering whether there's some kind of Sultai build with Snapcasters and Assassin's Trophy and Mission Briefing where you run this as a one or a two of as the fifth and sixth Snapcasters to just keep casting things like Abrupt Decay, Assassin's Trophy, Thoughtseize, IOK, um, Serum Visions, whatever, and just be like valuing off constantly. Uh, I mean, maybe like I'm not saying it won't get played. I just don't want people to go, oh, this is a new Snapcaster mage. I'm going to go deep on it at two bucks a piece because I think it's going to be better than Snapcaster. Like, no, don't do that. It's a bad idea. Oh, yeah. So there was um, the new uh, Diabolic Tutor. Two mana instant. Search your library for a black card with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard and then put it in your hand. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Reveal it, put it in your hand. So a two mana instant speed tutor <laughs> is pretty nuts. Now, uh, it's only for black cards, but and you have to have creatures in your graveyard. Doesn't matter. But, I mean, an EDH, this is nuts. Like at the end of your opponent's turn, you're like, okay, I'm going to instant speed tutor for either my sweeper or my Rise of the Dark Realms or my, you know, whatever. Like this is going to be uh, very powerful in EDH. That might be one of the better. What automatically automatically goes into Maldratha. The fact that it's an instant speed tutor and not a sorcery is huge. And it goes into Marin. It probably goes into Jared Golgari Lick Lord probably goes into maybe Skullbriar. I mean, there's a whole green black is Savra, Queen of the Golgari. I mean, any of these sacrifice graveyard intensive Golgari or or Sultai themed decks, Maldratha for sure. Um, are going to run this card. So foils of this definitely high on my high on my target list. I I put it in the top five targets early on. Yeah, I mean demonic tutor is wildly popular for a good reason. Um, and the thing is, because it triggers a number of creatures in the graveyard, unless the surveil deck um, is making good use of this in standard, we might get a shot at these relatively cheap. See how it goes. Yeah, I I, I totally think that this is going to fly way under the radar when it comes out for sure, for sure. I don't know. EDH players are going to probably stop are going to start snapping up foils pretty quick. I mean the the usage in EDH is so automatic and obvious, and you know Command Zone is going to call out the card as an auto like collection pickup. Yeah, um, yeah I, and that'll be that'll yeah. be enough to pop pump the price up. I I would guess that in the month of October we see these foils between twenty five and thirty. 25 and 30 i think you'll be able to find foils of this for uh five dollars under I, oh i think we're gonna have to revisit that one in a month i just i think the card is gonna get slept on really hard it's, let's it's let's I revisit think. that it's fine i mean I'm, I, that. maybe i'll be wrong like right but i think like the command cast saying this card is really good eh, i don't know if that's enough to like drive prices across the entire market nuts they have a lot of listeners but they don't have the entire magic market behind them i don't know We'll see. In, in, instant speed tutor with a, essentially no downside in the colors it will be played in for EDH just means it's an auto buy. I mean, I didn't say that it, in it fact, wasn't it's good. It, I'm just saying I think it will get slept on at first. I, I think it's the first two the first two cards any EDH player will buy for their collection from this set, as we understand it so far, are Assassin's Trophy and that. Uh, maybe the thing is, is, I don't I don't think of it. The thing, I don't think of it as a sexy card. It's not exciting. It's not like thrilling. It's not doing something you don't already have. It's just a good tutor. And it just seems like there's a lot of other things that are going to catch people's eye before this one. Add in the fact that Assassin's Trophy is coming out of the gate 
I mean, right now, pre-orders are still like 50 bucks. It's not going to hold that anywhere close to that. But people are going to be cracking box like crazy trying to find Assassin's Trophies, which gives everything else in the set room to drop in price. So let's sidestep on, on Assassin's Trophy for a second. Russian foils. Uh, what, what should I pay on those this fall? Um... So you said your walking blisses are 150, right? Yeah. I, I'm I don't know. I feel like I you keep asking me about Russian foils and I'm such the wrong person to ask this question to. They they they're, they're going to post them in the 2 to 300 range. No way. And no then way. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, they are. No, no, no. They will post them. There's no way you can pay that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I agree. So what I'm saying is that this is let me let me tell you how this usually happens on eBay. Okay, you're gonna have like six postings that buy, that sell really fast, and there's gonna be three or four dudes spread out across the Russian states um, or ex-Soviet states, and they're gonna post in that range. And then some dude from the Ukraine is gonna post it like a hundred dollars less, and it's just gonna be a question of which one of us gets to it first. <laughs> the if I see a copy of this between. I will buy my first copy just to have one between 80 and 120 would be my guess and then see how things develop and decide whether how deep I want to go. But what would you guess foil Russian assassin trophies are five years from now? Uh, hmm. 300. Yeah, that, that seems reasonable. One of those cards it's hard to find a buyer for, again, like all the Russian foils. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the card is going to be really relevant, but it's not a strict up, upgrade over Abrupt Decay or any of those types of cards. So like, it's not invalidating everything else. It's just another very good tool. We'll see. I, I'm curious to see how Modern warps around the card and whether it does. Um, so here's another EDH modern card, EDH slash modern card that's got my attention. Macabre Hatchery, three black, black, black. So, sorry, no, three black, black, not three black, black, black. So five cost, cast and cost sorcery. So right away that <laughs> makes it a dubious inclusion in modern. Um, but an EDH, much more likely to do nasty things. In fact, there's probably 17 million different combos with this already. Choose a creature card in your graveyard with converted mana cost one, two, and three and return those creatures to the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is uh, spoiled really early. Actually, um, this is a cool card. Uh, I guess it just this, this seems like it's going to be a victim of there being too many other things in the set to me. Yep, that that, that one's going to be cheap. I think we're going to end up with getting those foils real cheap, and then they're going to be a two, three, four year mm-hmm. hold. So here's a card that's probably flying under a lot of people's radar that sh- that is going to end up mattering somewhere, but isn't particularly financially relevant unless the foils end up dirt cheap. Creeping Chill, three black for a sorcery, deals three damage to each opponent and you gain three life. So already has like a mild impact on a board in EDH. But when Creeping Chill is put into your graveyard from your library, you may exile it. If you do, Creeping Chill deals three damage to each opponent and you gain three life. So... If you flip four of these into the graveyard, then each opponent takes 12 and you Mm -hmm. gain 12. So something like Dredge might decide Mm -hmm. to run this. Yeah, it is a cool card. I found myself uh, selling my friends on it the other day. I was like, no, I think this card is legitimate and you guys are sleeping on it. Uh, It's like it's like a Sam Black special, right? Like it gets sleeped on for ages and then like Zach Elsick or Sam Black 
pops up at a tournament with it and everyone goes, oh, that's gross. I didn't know it did that. Right, right, right. I mean, just the ability to give yourself some life padding against decks that are trying to kill you, the, the way you can just dome people for free doing nothing. I mean, Narcomuba is a terrible card, but people play the heck out of it because it's a free a free body, a free spell. Um, so a free three life in each direction is not something to sneeze at necessarily. But I, I think it'll take a long time before anyone before it does anything. All right, so that's probably a pretty decent overview for now based on the cards we've seen so far. Uh, we can probably wrap this one up. Works for me. A nice, uh, nice quick, short, light episode at a, just under an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> where can our listeners find you, James? You can find the fastest finance folk like me on Twitter at MGGCritic as well as via my weekly articles at MGGPrice.com. Uh, a little later this week, I'll be posting my priority pickups article on there, so keep an eye out for that one. We should change the cast. It's not. It should be MTG Fast Finance. It should be frenzied or like furious. <laughs> the fast and the furious in finance. Uh, brands like that never <laughs> last. They don't go eight movies. <laughs> uh, I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin B U M P I N. I write every Monday the Watchtower for MTGPrice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, thank you for joining me here on episode 136, James. I had a good time, lots of interesting chat, uh, and I will see you probably not next time. Because I'm going to be in California, so we'll have to right. about that. Well, we'll we'll work that out. I'm sure Cliff will will poke his head up to help out. Thanks, Travis. We'll see you guys next week on another episode of MGG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.